What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Happy New Year, January 1st, 2020. Uh, this is the first of two shows this week. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Will Cooling about the UK wrestling scene. Uh, and then also talk to Ryan Pike as we preview Wrestle Kingdom 14, which is this weekend. Not sure where everyone is living, but on the West Coast, I think the first show starts uh, Friday night, Saturday, actually Saturday at midnight, I think. And then night two is like Saturday at like 9 p.m. So I will definitely be watching night two live, but probably be watching night one early in the morning on Saturday. So that's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of wrestling for for Saturday. Um, Also, uh, just about the website, uh, we have a couple of our awards Ish, uh, awards posts up so we have the mma awards we have the boxing awards tons of people who uh are a part of fight game media and our fight game media or fight game podcast uh facebook group um and then later today we will have the pro wrestling awards i'll probably be finishing those up while i'm watching aew dynamite and speaking of aew dynamite john and i will be back on friday as we talk about the uh, the Wednesday Night War. There's no NXT this week. Uh, actually, it, there is an NXT show, but it's a recap show. So lots of the great matches from 2019, uh, f- from Takeover. If you've seen all of those Takeovers, you probably don't need to watch the show. But if you haven't, like, there's some going to be some great wrestling on the show, and I think they do some awards as well. But AEW Dynamite will be live. Uh, it's a brand new show, so I will be checking that out, and we'll talk about it on Friday morning uh, with John. And then also we will debut, well, not really debut, but the 2020 version of We Want Flares Coming. So that will, we will begin the segments on that show on Friday, uh, really digging back into the archives of the Wrestling Observer and other books and stuff about uh, that 1991 WCW era. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the WCW New Japan um Showdown, which was actually Starcade '91 in Japan, uh, but that if you if you were around uh, watching wrestling in that time, it was like a special on pay per view, like a ten dollar or something uh, on pay per view, and you got to see like a clipped version of the show. Like the Jushin Liger match is like five minutes long, if you can believe that they edited down that match. Um, but we're going to be talking about the Flair Fujinami stuff and kind of the beginning of the end for Ric Flair there in WCW until he would go back in 1993. So we will begin that on Friday's episode. But for now, uh, let's kick it to Ryan and myself talking about Wrestle Kingdom 14. Okay, bringing on Ryan now. We're going to talk about some Wrestle Kingdom. So Ryan, who I've known for a very long time now, just through all of our uh, F4W Wrestling Observer uh, meetups, Ryan is the managing editor of FlamesNation.ca and the Calgary correspondent for Sporting News CA. And he is at Ryan N. Pike on Twitter. So, Ryan, you're doing all this writing and none of it is for what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, because, you know, pro wrestling is supposed to be for fun, right? <laughs> what, what would like I wonder what would be the equivalent? Like if you like what is there a pro wrestling uh, website or something like what's the managing editor equivalent in in pro wrestling? I guess it'd be sort of like writing for MMA fighting or something like that on the MMA side. 
pretty much so yeah so there's there's not really a pro wrestling i guess it i guess the observer uh would be but they don't they don't write as much uh, as much daily content or, or do really any any daily reporting outside of what Dave does. Um, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Wrestle Kingdom 14 double night, two nights in Tokyo Dome. Before before we actually get get uh, kick off and, and kind of talk through the matches, what is your what is your strategy for attacking both of these nights? I mean, thankfully they're on the weekend, but for you, these shows are starting so late. Well, I think the, the nice thing is that uh, it's on the weekend, so I can basically just have a nap in the <laughs> evening and then just load up on coffee and energy So do you drinks. plan on watching both of them live? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice thing. It's a, it's a Friday night and a Saturday night, and I believe the Flames are on a road trip, so uh, it's going to be nice and easy. So for me, I'm not going to watch Friday Night Live. I'll wake up fairly early Saturday and start watching it throughout the day. But I will watch the Saturday night show live because I think it starts really early on the West Coast, something like 930 or something like that. So I'll be able to get through that show, you know, be done by 132 o'clock and be totally fine. But yeah, for I, I, I just feel bad for the folks on the East Coast because it's always so late. Well, the, the nice thing is I think I'm in, I'm in the mountain time zone, so I'm only an hour after you. So it's it's not too, too bad. But I think the further east you get, it just becomes a bit of a grind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's walk through all of the matches on both nights. Kind of get your thoughts. I'm I'm interested in, in what you actually think they're going to do with this double title situation as well. But um, I, I think one of the most interesting things is as at least coming into the show uh, that has just been announced recently is the uh, the Stardom Exhibition match, which from what we understand is not even going to be available for streaming on New Japan World. So this is just for the live crowd. Yeah, I think the theory is it'll eventually end up on the, the Stardom streaming site, which can be kind of cool. I mean, it'll be a cool atmosphere. Uh, I'm very curious what the crowd will be like for it because I think this is the uh, the 4 o'clock local time match, so it's going to be super, super yeah. early. Uh, the first match of two pretty long shows. Uh, and... I'm curious uh, how familiar the crowd will be with uh, the four people involved. I mean, uh, you know, North American fans are, you know, probably the most familiar with uh, Mayu uh, Iwatani from her uh, her stint in uh, Ring of Honor. I think ostensibly she's still on their roster. She sort of shows up every now and then, but she's not really a regular Ring of Honor anymore. But she's probably the one I'm most familiar with. But uh, I'm I'm super curious. Uh, just, you know, I don't, don't know if there's much booking curiosity from this. More of a how will uh, the, the New Japan faithful respond yep. to something that's a lot more different than what they're used to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And historically... The, the, they've just split the women's wrestling and the men's wrestling apart. And so this is uh, quite a crossover here. I think for fans uh, who you know exclusively watch wrestling in North America, they're like, oh, big deal. We see women's wrestling on, you know, on from time to time, you know, throughout the years. But this is this is actually quite different for them. So the crowd reaction, sort of how this. You know, I, and and what's interesting is I didn't think they were going to do this because I thought you know exclusively they were going to keep everything separate and they didn't want any crossover, but they did they did do this. So there's got to be a reason, and I wonder what it also means for the future. Yeah, like uh, especially considering uh, for for the new beginning tour, they're they're running a larger building, I believe. Uh, 
uh, I forget which, which city they're running in, but, you know, typically, you know, they sort of run smaller buildings, uh, medium-sized buildings for many of the tours and only really go to the big buildings for big shows like Dominion. And so are we going to see sort of, uh, you know, a stardom presence similar to this sort of here and there as dark matches on some of the bigger shows? Are they going to be, you know, sprinkled into just the major shows on the tours? Do we see occasional uh, Carrick and Hall matches for these uh for, for stardom so uh i think uh, we'll we'll see how the first one goes and how it uh how uh, the fans respond to it because i think if it gains some traction maybe that's something they do more regularly if it doesn't maybe they go back to the drawing board and figure out what they need to do to uh get a few more eyeballs on it all right so the shows uh, on new japan world really kick off with there's like five multi-man matches to uh to open the show <laughs> and because you're watching live you're sitting through these like for me not not that I don't want to watch these matches, but just because of time, like, I, I mean, I may just kind of just because I'm interested in, in the in Jushin Thunder Liger, like may drop into that match. Um, but I think, you know, un- unless unless I have a lot more time than I think I do, the opening match, which is Uemura, Suji, Honma, Makabe against uh, Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and Hanare. Like, that's going to be, like, a fun display for these young Lions. And someone who I, you know, I've met before and I've talked to before and I've even interviewed on this show before, Carl Fredericks. I'm very interested in his career. Uh, but if I'm, like, really hurting for time, this is this is something that I probably will skip live and then maybe go back and watch after afterward. As... As someone who grew up, uh, you know, I'm, I grew up, you know, with the, the WWF and uh, WWE. And honestly, one of the cooler things in the WWE calendar that I've liked that New Japan sort of cribbed up to the last couple of years was the New Japan Rumble. Because just the idea of mm-hmm. just the, OK, well, you need to get a bunch of guys on the card and maybe people won't care about it. So at least this way you can sort of do a longer, lower impact match and sort of sprinkle some of these dojo guys in. uh but I, I kind of like the the idea of, of uh, the prelim in the sense that you sort of have you know a, a foursome of Japanese guys versus a foursome of guys that weren't trained in Japan. You know, Hanari is from uh, I believe the New Zealand. I think he trained uh, under uh, Fale, and then the other guys are all from the LA dojo. So it's kind of an interesting gimmick in the sense that you know it's sort of a, a throwaway eight man that has a bit of a, a theme to it, but. I still kind of wish they'd just, you know, say screw it and go with the New Japan Rumble and just get a bunch of guys in and instead of sort of, lack of a better term, clogging up a lot of the undercard with multi-man matches. Mm-hmm. And then the second match is Kojima and Tenzan versus Nakanishi and Nagata. So this is a this is your, you, you know, your old vets match here. Um, I, and, and, and again, you know, if, if I'm hurting for time, this is another one that I'm going to skip, though I can see, you know, for, for the older fans, like, you know, how this could be pretty fun. Yeah, it'll it'll be like I don't know eight to ten minutes. It'll be fun. The crowd will get into their into their spots. I think it's one of those things where you know it's it's uh, the old guard sort of doing uh, you know getting their getting some time for the fans to show their respect. And I think I think it'll be it'll be fine for what it is. I mean, you know, we a couple of years ago, you know, Kojima had that great run in uh, in the. Uh, you know, in the G1, Nagata had that a couple of years ago too with his final G1. Uh, you know, th- those are, those guys can still go, and you know, Tenzan and Nakanishi are still capable workers. They're you know, not high level anymore, but I think you know the worst thing you'll be able to say about this is, well, it sure was ten minutes of fun. <laughs> and then we have one of two Jushin Thunder Liger retirement matches. Uh, so on this night one, the first match is an eight man tag. It is. 
Tiger Mask, the Great Sasuke, and Tatsumi Fujinami with Liger against uh, Taguchi. Um, uh, ta- I don't. I don't know how to. I, I always screw up this guy's name. Uh, ta- Takawa. Ta- Takawa. Ta- Tatsuhiro Takawa. Um, Utani and then Sano. So. Again, sort of like a, a throwback match with with old wrestlers. There's you know a couple couple guys or at least one guy that that is uh, currently still uh, wrestling. But you know it's it's the kind of the the opposite of what I would have liked to see uh, as someone who has seen you know I, I didn't see Jushin Thunder Liger when he was in in uh, you know in, in Japan early in his career or even elsewhere. I did see him you know the first time I did see him was probably that. Super Brawl match with uh, with Brian Pillman, but as someone who kind of knew who he was and followed him, this is kind of like a lame match to me. Again, now for the live crowd, for people who have sort of watched him over the years, maybe it's not. That could be just my sort of uh, you know not understanding what's going on here. But man, I would have loved to see him do something else. And in night two, he'll do something a little bit a little bit more of what I would think. But yeah, I guess this. I, I don't know. What did you think about this, and also the kind of the way that he's decided to end his career? It's going to be interesting. I mean, it it says a lot about how well respected Taguchi is that they're like, okay, well, Liger and Tiger Mask being together kind of made sense, and sort of I like I kind of like the tie-in of sort of some of his old Japanese rivals, but. You know, from a you know from a, a match perspective, this will lean heavily on nostalgia and won't mm-hmm. really be much for work rate, so to speak. So I imagine you know Taguchi and Tiger Mask are in there to sort of take the the signature spots from some of the the old veterans and try to work uh you know the best they can. And Liger, you know, I, I imagine this probably ends with Liger pinning Taguchi because. Otherwise, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But you know, it's it's uh, it's a lot of guys that haven't really been. You know, uh, Taguchi's been on. You know, he wasn't on last year's show, but he was on the, the on Wrestle Kingdom twelve. He sort of you know the last few years he sort of alternate every other year he's on the show. Uh, Tiger Mask and Liger, neither of them have been on the main show since uh, Wrestle Kingdom six. So it's been a long time. Uh, you know, since these guys have been to be blunt anything but you know nostalgia acts i kind of wish they would have done something more with liger i think this sort of came up last year in uh, the super jig uh the, the best of super juniors rather where you know he said it was his last tournament and everyone's like oh cool are they gonna do something fun with it or is it gonna be like you know like they kind of did with nagata in the g1 with sort of you know having him get some wins and sort of get some momentum and instead liger was just sort of one of the dudes in the in the tournament it seems like a, a lost opportunity because you know Liger we've seen you know when he's put in with guys who can go he's an amazing shape for his age and he can still go and the crowd gets really into it so you know you could have done something cool with him and Osprey you could have done something cool with you know uh, you know we'll see when we talk about night two you could have done something cool with uh, him and uh, and Dragon Lee or Ryu Lee as he's called now or something cool with him and uh, Hiromu uh, instead they sort of they're leaning on nostalgia which it makes some sense. That's sort of how New Japan has tended to do things. And, you know, we've seen, seen you know, if you look at the undercard, uh, you know, the, it's going to be following sort of a, a hardcore nostalgia match. And so I think it, it kind of makes sense thematically, but it seems like a missed opportunity. So we kick it up uh, up a little bit here. Uh, and, and one of the, I think one of the things that I've heard as far as criticism is concerned is how uh, Minoru Suzuki is actually, uh, you know, how they booked him in, in both of these nights. And I think this is the only match that he's in, which is 
Eight-man tag, Bushi, Shingo, Evil, Sonata against uh, Desperado, Taichi, Minoru, and Zack Sabre Jr. So, I mean, this should be excellent. I don't know how much time they're going to get, but really, really good wrestlers in, in this match up and down. But uh, what do you think about the match? And then also, you know, M- M- Minoru's role this year. Um, I'm going to go, eh. I mean, it's a setup match for uh, for a couple of things that they have going on in night two, which... Yep. It seems like a missed opportunity. I mean, you know, much much like, you know, one of the most one of the best crowd reactions we've seen on a major New Japan show in the last year has been for those Suzuki Liger face-offs and then mm-hmm. they sort of blow it off very quickly sort of in a, a less impressive way than they could have and then they're both sort of shuffled into multi-man tags in separate matches on the show so mm-hmm. you know it, it seems like they're trying to de-emphasize uh, some of the older guys and try to build up some of the younger guys like it makes sense to build up Zack Sabre Jr. it makes sense uh, you know make you know I think I think almost as disappointing as Minoru Suzuki being in sort of a also ran forgotten spot in the show is Shingo because you know Shingo's going to be uh, you know I think he's in one of the, he's in a prelim match on night two but just the idea of you know Shingo was so good in the G one and he had so many great matches and he he and he and Will Ospreay were one of the major stories of the major tournaments of the year and then Shingo's sort of a guy in a tag match and it seems like a missed opportunity because he's been so impressive same as you know he i think he, there's more tread on the tire for shingo than there is for uh for minoru suzuki obviously but they're both guys that can be really valuable especially when you have two long shows to build up you could have done something a bit more impressive with either of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay so then the last uh well i guess not the last multi-man because the next match will be tag but the uh, the eight man with Yoshihashi Yano Ishi Goto against Chase Owens ya- uh, Takahashi Bad Luck Fale and Kenta. So again, another mixed uh, you know <laughs> bunch of bunch of really good guys in in, in one match thrown together. Um, some better than others, but another one, you know, Ishi. He's he's in uh, he's in an eight man on uh, the first night of the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, that's. I mean. Chase Owens gets to be on the big show. That's kind of, you know, he's he's been one of those underrated guys sort of doing a lot of the the carrying in some of these multi-mans over the entire last year. And, you know, I think he's one of the more underappreciated guys in the in New Japan simply because he's not as, you know, there's not that much exciting about Chase Owens, but he's so good. Uh, but again, like, you know, granted, you know, Kenta and Goto have a, a match on night two. Uh, but, you know, Ishii, you could, they could have done something more interesting with him. I mean, you know, being sort of stuck in a tag match with Yoshihashi is kind of a, a weird fate for one of the guys that's been so good and so reliable. I mean, you know, he had that incredible match with Moxley on uh, during the G1, and it seems kind of strange that he isn't featured more prominently. But, I don't know, it'll be an interesting enough match. I think the crowd will get into it, and especially, you know, as they build things up, it seems it's very much a setup match for, for the next night. But it's, uh, you know, Ish, Ishii, Kenta, and a lot of guys that haven't really been uh, prominent in a while. And, and, you know, I, I will say that you and I both understand that when you have so much great talent, this is going to happen. And it's, it's a good problem to have, actually. You know, I wish I wish uh, WWE had the same problem where, you know, so many guys are over. And then when you put them in a match, the fans are like, ah, well, it's not up to snuff for what I think about this wrestler. Uh, but that's just that's just the case. And, and even with but I mean, I think the thing that's kind of crazy is even with two shows back to back. 
you can't find something really super relevant that you could really sink your teeth into for these guys but hey you know that's they 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 also have a lot of stuff coming uh for the year and i'm sure that ishii will will definitely be involved in, in some good stuff one way or another and you know obviously he'll be in g1 as yeah, well yeah but so. it's still kind of you know um, it's still kind of weird <laughs> the idea of you know all due respect to the man but juice robinson's in two title matches in two days and she <laughs> he is sort of just a guy in a, on the shows it's it's a, it's a weird look in some ways yeah so speaking of the uh the tag the tag title match is uh uh loa against david finley and juice robinson if this is where i may pick the show up if i'm sort of strapped for time so this this might be my match number one uh and then going back later when i have more time but um you know, nice little tag team title match here. I, I, it's it's interesting to me because if you think about the last few years, because of the Bucks and some of the under other uh, junior heavyweight teams, uh, it just the the tag team scene just felt much more exciting. It felt like something where I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm really looking forward to that match. And this again, this is good and it'll be fine. But it's not something where I'm like, wow, I, I really can't wait to see this. Match. I, I feel the way. Granted, it's it sort of it, – they're connected in my mind because they feared a bit in Ring of Honor this year. Uh, but I feel like the, uh, the grill is a destiny very similarly the way I do about the Briscoes in the sense that it feels like they've been sort of in the same spot, in the same place, in the same level of prominence for years and years and years. And granted, you know, the Grills of Destiny haven't been – in New Japan as long as the Briscoes have in Ring of Honor, but it just it sort of seems like, you know, you're cycling this, you know, a different group of teams through the same guys, and it, it feels kind of stale in a way. It's nice that they're getting, uh, you know, Robinson and Finley in, because they're sort of a different look than they've seen. Like, it's not like we're seeing, you know, uh, all due respect, Evil and Sonata versus Eli, you know, versus uh, the Gorillas we've seen so many times that, you know, I'm pretty sure we could all sort of call the match with our eyes closed. But I kind of, you know, it's it's different, but it just sort of seems a little bit less exciting than it could be. And then uh, the next match is a Texas death match. Lance Archer and John Moxley. The winner can only be declared after the loser is either knocked out or submitted. Uh, Lance Archer is someone who I think, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, if you want to put someone on your wrestling list as someone who's kind of... Uh, become a bit of a, a breakout star or even a comeback star he's had a great year and of course you know moxie's made made a ton out of his disdain for wwe and has really has really become a, a, a crazy that he's become a bigger star outside of wwe than he was i just in find, it kind of, find kind of cool that somebody that was sort of just a dude in a undercard tag team if that in WWE has, you know, come to Japan and, you know, first with his tag team with uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., uh, Archer did a great job sort of in reinventing himself as this sort of crazy maniac. And I think he's even dialed that up to like 11 or 12 uh, since the G1 because, you know, he had that opening night match in the G1. I think he, I think he was the, the match against Osprey and it was insane. Like it was, it was one of the, one of the first times I really, you know, I always thought he was good, but I sort of opened my eyes and went, "Holy crap, this guy could be excellent if if he keeps doing things the way he is." And since the summer, he's been white hot, and I think you know the the Moxie connection is kind of cool because it's sort of, you know, it's one of the, probably the first match on the show that you look at and go, 
okay, if these guys can actually do the things they want to do in this match, this could be crazy good because, you know, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a level, it's a, the type of match that you don't typically see in new Japan with two guys whose styles are uniquely suited to it. And it can be really fun. I'm also very curious, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about night two, uh, whether or not we hear the words all elite wrestling mentioned on the broadcast, because Moxley is, mm-hmm. you know, one of two gentlemen on the, 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 the weekend, that are also affiliated with that promotion uh and you know we'll we'll see what happens uh but i'm just i'm just kind of excited just to sort of see how the crowd reacts to it i i hope shoto amino manages to show up i don't think he will because i believe he's on excursion but it'd be kind of a a nice bit of a continuity sort of time in especially you know since Mm -hmm. you know this match only you know primarily exists because of continuity you know moxley couldn't defend his title due to uh, weather delays getting it to him to japan for his last title defense and so they did an archer versus juice robinson match instead and so okay you know he's fighting for the title he didn't lose that's some cool continuity and you know it'd be nice attention to detail if uh, amino is at ringside the the thing that I remember is before that G1 started, <clears throat> uh, Dave had Lance Archer on the show, and that, so I, I was the co-host on that show. And it's funny because, you know, when, when you're talking about wrestling, which obviously is there, – there, there's not a competition aspect to it, and Lance is on the show – and then Dave is talking about the guys who could win. Like, there's no way that Lance Archer was going to win G1, right? But he's on the show, and he's talking like, Dave, like, don't forget about me. Like, I'm going to win the G1. And so, it's, you know, because Dave is so, he's so, uh, you know, he's a, he's a reporter. So there's a truth versus, uh, versus uh, you know, facts versus lies kind of thing. So just watching him kind of get... You know, just keep a straight face was was actually kind of fun, but that was an interesting interview because of that aspect of we knew Lance wasn't going to win, but little did we know he had an excellent tournament and really re, has really remade himself. So it's great to see, and this match is going to be a lot of fun. Lance is also someone who works uh, like a you know like a big dude, and so that that changes the dynamic um, because you know so far in Moxley's. Uh, in Moxley, at least in Moxley's uh, stuff with AEW, they, there's not really that kind of big guy to work off of. So I think they could do some fun stuff. Okay, so, you know, if you want to talk about now we're starting to cook with grease, Will Ospreay against the <laughs> returning Hiromu Takahashi. I, I, I've, I'm going to be watching this match very similarly to when I watched when Daniel Bryan came back the last time, which is I can't wait to see him. I'm so excited, but at the same time, I'm a little scared. And because these guys are going to be doing, you know, these guys are going to go 100 miles an hour. Like, I'm always going to have that in the back of my head watching this match. Like, I just want to make sure this dude is okay. This this is the first match that I think people will be sort of both rubbing their hands together with glee, but also have a certain amount of nervous energy in the in the dome. And I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting how the crowd atmosphere is because you know Osprey is a guy who's sort of he's you know he works that crazy style, uh, and he but he's so good at it, and he's worked with so many great workers in the last year and has so many great matches, and you know uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys fit together i mean this is sort of a sequel to the last that uh there was a, a four-way uh match i think takahashi's last uh, g uh, last match at the tokyo dome was that four-way i believe marty skrull and kushida were the other two guys in uh in the match and it was a phenomenal action match 
again, you can sort of do that when you have four guys that, you know, work that style and can sort of switch off with each other. But, uh, you know, Takahashi looked good in his, uh, in the, the multi-man matches he worked last, you know, uh, during the last tour to sort of get the rust off. But, you know, will, who, will the crowd be on Takahashi's side or on Osprey's side? Will they, will they be a distinct heel baby face dynamic? Will it be the crowd's just excited to see both these guys and are just praying no one gets hurt? Uh, it's going to be fascinating, but it's going to be a fantastic match, I think. All right. And now we are getting to matches that uh, will. I want to hear your opinion also on, on what you would do as far as the booking of them. So the first match is for the Intercontinental Championship. Jay White and Tetsuya Naito winner goes into the double champion match the next night. And the loser goes into the number one contenders match the next night. I... If I were them, I, I I think the big challenge here is, okay, do they want a distinct heel babyface situation in the night two main event? Because if they want that, I don't know if there's a better heel right now in professional wrestling than Jay White. He's just so unlikable, and he leans into it in so many interesting ways. Like, he's sort of like the anti-Okada in the sense that, you know, Okada, you know, all his little smirmy things that Okada does in matches, and even when he tries to work heel, he's so good and so endearing that it's hard not to enjoy what he does and cheer for him. Whereas with White, he's just, he plays the sneering, smirmy, you know, foreign heel so well in New Japan, where he sort of, he leans into so many little things about himself that are, you know, grating as persona that... I think, you know, I could see him winning because, you know, uh, I could see them doing a a rematch of, uh, you know, a couple matches. You know, Okada won the title from from Jay White. I could see them doing a rematch of that. I could see them doing a rematch of uh, the Ibushi Jay White uh, finale from the G1 this year. It was just phenomenal. Like, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's a little bit forgotten in the, you know, the glut of amazing matches we've seen from people this year. But, you know, that was just such a good match. just such a cool crowd dynamic. And it'd be interesting to sort of see if they can replicate that on night two with a a much larger crowd and a much larger building. But I kind of... I, th- I kind of think you need to have Jay White go over here in order to make the, the, the second night match, you know, a bit bigger. Now, I see what you're saying. I definitely see what you're saying. Because I think what most people think is that they're going to do uh, Naito and Ibushi on night two as as the title match and, and look the, the you, you you know there's tons of different ways you can look at this i'm just thinking of you know the ones that i've seen as far as people what people think that one comes up the most often now if you do jay white i think what you're what you're gonna do is you're gonna get um a lot of people upset at the idea that he's in the main event, which he's a heel. So for them to be upset, that's kind of the, the the environment that you want, which is what you were explaining. But I do wonder if it is a bit of a turnoff in night two for your people watching on New Japan. I don't think people are not going to watch a show, but I do wonder if there's a little bit of a frustration for Jay White to to go into that 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 main event match on the second night. You know, as, I mean, it, it would be heat, right? Like that's that—that's why you would do it is for heat reasons. And he's he's also a really really good wrestler. But um, but I do I do wonder if you if you do that because the dream, I, th- I think, you know, the dream would be, 
either Okada and Ibushi with Naito. Like, that's sort of like what you would see as, oh, this is what I really want to see. But like you said, sort of the way that may work the best is to have a heel babyface dynamic. And that's the one way that you get there. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I'm just looking at it from how they built the, the shows before. And I think, you know, I think the X factor here is, you know, Naito is obviously banged up and he's sort of been hidden in multi-man tags while he's sort of biding his time and hopefully healing up a bit. But, you know, if you're going to do uh, on night two, I think you could sort of do sort of an old guard, new guard, you know, main pair of main events with you know okada naito in that uh, third from the top spot and honestly okada can take care of naito and he, mm-hmm. he wrestles a less dangerous style than Ibushi. and i think you know you could get the crowd reactions you want from sort of having you know i think they're sort of beginning to position the okada naito rivalry as sort of the a more updated version of the okada tanahashi rivalry and sort of mm-hmm. having that in you know sort of the the third from the top spot and then you know the the crazy new guys in white and Ibushi sort of on top, and they can sort of let loose a bit. Whereas I think I think everyone would be a little bit nervous about Naito and Ibushi letting loose because of you know the scariness of some of their matches and just sort of you know the the athleticism and violence inherent in Ibushi's style. I think Okada is a little bit more of a, a safe night at the office for Naito. The, um, the th- other thing you bring up, which is a great point, which is we don't know how healthy he is. And um, I know that he'll probably do as much as humanly possible, even if he is hurt. But that is that is another aspect to this, which is, is he, you know, if he was originally going to be the guy and then they just decided, well, you know, you're not you're not you're not healthy enough to do so. And that that's something that that could be the case. Um, hopefully they sent him to uh, Germany for some blood spinning or something in the last couple of weeks. And I think the X factor in some of the, the position of the matches is just sort of, uh, you know, how involved are Bullet Club and LIJ in chaos. And I don't know, Abushi doesn't have any friends, but uh, just the idea of, you know, like if you want to use smoke and mirrors, you can do a lot sort of to hide, uh, you know, Naito's, you know, challenges by just sort of doing a lot of stuff on the periphery with some outside interference with Bullet Club. They, you know, it was a huge thing in the in the G1 this year with a lot of Bullet Club interference, uh, you know. So having having that sort of be an X factor on the outside, you know, if Naito isn't 100 percent, you can still have a, a cracking match and have, you know, fans absolutely, you know, on their feet by sort of putting in some stuff around the peripheries and sort of using, you know, the cannon fodder guys on the outside in order to uh, to hide some things and sort of giving a bit of an easier night at the office, regardless of who he's wrestling with. So I think that uh, how they use the, the the factions in these matches, you know, traditionally, especially the in the G, especially in the Tokyo Dome, they've sort of shied away from using too much smoke and mirrors, partially because of the prestige of the event and partially, I think, because of, you know, they they want to put the emphasis on the titles and on the work rate rather than sort of going, oh, well, you know, let's just have bad luck folly run in and punch a guy rather than actually do a good match. So uh, I think they'll probably lean into the just doing the good matches. But I think I'm curious how they use uh, Bullet Club specifically as a crutch for these matches. And then what do you think about the main event of night one? Oh, God, that's going to be such a good match. That's going to be such a good match. I'm curious. I'm, I, it's another one I'm kind of curious because, you know, the, the fans love Okada. And I think that sort of led to, you know, Abushi sort of getting a bit more of an edge to him in the, in the buildup over the last couple tours. Uh, but, you know, 
I, it feels like it's time for Okada to, to lose, and it feels like it's Bushi's time to win, especially you know having you know he, he having him being committed to New Japan the way he has in the last year. So you know the coronation makes a lot of sense. The X factor is you know you do a coronation and then have him do a title match the very next night. Uh, so uh, will you know will Ibushi want to leave anything in the tank performance wise for night two? Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. I, I I'm strongly leaning towards Ibushi winning simply because you know who else is there for Okada to beat as champion? Uh, he's been champion for so long, especially the last two three years, that you know maybe you know they give him a bit of a breather. Uh, but we'll see what they end up doing. But it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. I think the crowd's gonna be just absolutely dynamite for this show. All right, so we get to the second night. And the second night opens up <clears throat> with a gauntlet match for the never open weight six man tag championship uh, tag team championship. So the champs Makabe and Yano and uh, Taguchi, uh, and I don't know if this is the actual order of uh, of of the uh, the teams coming in, but this is just what's listed on uh, on the websites. Uh, so Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Robbie Eagles is one of the teams. Um, uh, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Takahashi is another team. Uh, Evil, Shingo, and Ibushi. Uh, and then the Suzuki Gun team, Taichi, Desperado, and Kanemaru. So, going to open up with a gauntlet. So, another another match just to get a bunch of teams on, which, I mean, you know, it is... Uh, I'm sure there will be some comedy in here, uh, but there's some good workers as well. Yeah, it'll 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 be fine. I you know maybe they could. Uh, I'm curious who they end up putting the belts on. The the you know they've sort of leaned into the weirdness of the Taguchi Yano Makabe team, sort of the anti team, sort of the, a non stable stable. Although I guess Taguchi's technically in a stable with everyone, but uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with it, how the crowd reacts. Uh, it's interesting that they're not doing. I'm curious at the length of this match because, you know, night one, you have the three prelims. And if you assume, you know, 10 minutes a piece, it's not going to be terribly, terribly long. But, you know, for the six man gauntlet, you know, there's that's a lot of matches to go through in a short period of time. So I'm curious if they let it breathe a bit or they just try to rush through it. And then the uh, the next match is the Jushin Thunder Liger retirement match number two. Uh, Sano and Liger versus uh, Dragon Lee and Takahashi. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what to expect with something like this, but uh, but yeah, it, that that's that's his official retirement match. Yeah, and you know who takes the fall here? Because I mean. Everyone's going to try to lose to to Liger. I mean, you know, Dragon. You know, it's it's a weird thing because it's you know Dragon Lee's first match back under his new name, Ryu Lee, in New Japan. Uh, Takahashi could be the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Mm -hmm. coming into this match. Uh, Does he? I I would assume if he's champion, he's got to win. But it's also Liger's last match. It's Lee's first match back. So they probably, you know, he just signed with them. So they probably want to do something with him to sort of, you know, put a little bit of shine on him. But maybe they don't. Uh, it's so, you know, Dragon Lee, Ryu Lee is currently the Ring of Honor uh, World Television Champion. Will he have the belt? Will it be acknowledged in any way? Will they just ignore it and pretend that Ring of Honor doesn't exist? Uh, <laughs> it's it's There's so many weird things in this match. Like, Naoki Sano... I, Maybe they t- maybe they lose. 
That yeah, way, Lager that, doesn't that, have that's to. What, that's it, what I was wondering too. It, yeah, they seem like the the Chase Owens in a multi man tag match on a on a Cork and Hall show, where you're like, oh, well, I know who's getting pinned here. Mm-hmm. I assume, but it's also you know the X factor of Liger's last match here. It's going to be fascinating, but I assume that Lee and Takahashi win because you know to to you know to use the CM Punk expression, they're working tomorrow. <laughs> um, but you never know. It's 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 it would be very typically New Japan for Liger to Liger's team to lose, and mm-hmm. it would make a lot of sense. But you can also understand that Lee and Takahashi will probably be campaigning to lose themselves. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then there is the uh, Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship with El Fantasmo and Ishimori against Sho and Yo. That This is going to be a really fun match. Fantasmo uh, and Ishimori have been fun. Uh, Sho and Yo are just such a fun team. Uh, you know, I think their their act is sort of built for the Tokyo Dome because they're so, you know, all four of these guys have such colorful personalities. They, they wrestle very loud, showy styles. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have Rocky Romero being a goof on the on the out on the back, you know, on the outside, too. But this is gonna be, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun match. I don't, think, I don't think it'll be amazing, but I think it'll flow really well. And I think it'll be a fun match. Um, I can see them doing a title change. I can see them keeping that belts on the bullet club guys i think a lot of it sort of depends on what happens in other matches but you know regard this is gonna be, this is gonna be a good uh, a fun match and i think it's gonna start you know much like you know with night two the escalation of you know matches start ramping up starts with like the fourth fifth from last match and sort of builds this one mm-hmm. you know the crowd will be into you know be still emotionally engaged i think from the previous match with liger's last match it'll be interesting to see how these guys sort of take a hold of that because this seems like you know it could be the emotional letdown of the show or it could be something that sort of helps keep momentum going for the show and then we have the british heavyweight championship match zach saber jr against sonata by the way what did you think about the the okada and sonata match being the one chosen for that that major award it's weird i mean it was good but it seems like a, I don't know, it seems like a strange thing. Sonata's had a great year, but it seems like a, a strange inclusion given all the other great Okada matches we've had this year. I know. It was just a weird one. It was just like, ah, oh, let's just close our eyes and pick from one of these 10 matches. Oh, it's the Sonata match. Also, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, the political situation outside of, uh, outside of New Japan is fascinating because, you know, Ring of Honor uh, sent has sent basically nobody to any of the last few tours i don't think it, you can really count even dragon lee as being a, a ring of honor guy on this show considering that he's wrestling under a completely different name than he does in uh, in ring of honor here uh, and then you have rev pro their their top title being defended uh on a show and you know in the you know we'll get into this later but just sort of the the AEW aspect to one of the other matches uh meanwhile ring of honor is sort of the the forgotten partner here it's it's a it's Mm -hmm. a very interesting situation on the outside all right and then the uh the winner of the lance archer and john moxley match and whoever becomes the u.s heavyweight champion faces juice robinson on night two this has almost got to be Moxley losing to Juice, right? I mean, the I, I it seemed from you know the you know the the logical progression from the the times out angle they've been running since you know the summer would be that okay you know Moxley comes in he uh, he he wins the belt he beats up Juice Robinson Juice Robinson you know bides his time licks his wounds and then comes back and and overcomes the the challenge uh, so it would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, having you know, it seems it seems prime for for Robinson 
you know, especially with them doing so many American shows next year and, and with Robinson being such a charismatic guy, it would make a lot of sense for him to be sort of the face carrying that uh, that flag over the next year. Uh, so I could my guess is Robinson wins. And my guess is I think it's the easiest thing to do is to have Moxley win on night one and then Moxley lose to sort of pay pay everything forward to Robinson on night two, mm-hmm. especially, you know, mm-hmm. if, if Moxley's not going to be a guy that's going to be around a lot. It kind of makes sense to have the outside guy lose here. And potentially, you know, uh, if they if they want to open an avenue to, for more AEW things, I think, you know, if you want to build a relationship, the best way to do it is to put the other guy's people over. So th- that would make a lot of sense in a lot of fronts here. And I think I think this would be if it's Moxley, regardless if it's Moxley or Archer, you know, uh, I think Robinson and Archer had a good match, uh, you know, originally. So, you know, regardless of who the who the uh, the champion is, it seems to make sense that Robinson w- w- would get the win back. But regardless of who who is the champion coming in, I think this is going to be a fun match. All right. And then we have Kenta and Goto. And I mean, Shibata's got to be involved in some of this, right? I would hope so. If they if they know what they're doing and they usually do. uh, Can you imagine the crowd reaction of Shibata coming out for this match? Like, it'd be insane. I think, you know, and Shibata at the very least getting involved in the finish, it seems, it screams title change to me, and it screams Shibata involved somehow, and I think this could be, you know, heading into the final three matches, this could be sort of one of the emotional uh, focal points of the whole show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have uh, Tanahashi and Jericho, so that kind of, uh, we can talk about the AEW thing now. Uh, Tanahashi had mentioned that it, you know, if he if he, if he wins, he, he wants a shot at the AEW Championship. Jericho did an interview in front of an airplane that said, you know, I, I've talked to Tony Khan. You know, we're in. So, what do you make of all of this stuff? Because based on what what has happened over the last year, where it seemed like a no brainer for these guys to work together. There's been, you know, there's been a lot of hard feelings uh, uh, about business dealings, and and now this happens, and so I'm kind of conflicted about what I think they're actually doing and who's being worked and and what they're, you know, what what the the actual uh, public stance is on this stuff. But you know, from from the things that I that I had heard going on all all of this year in, in 2019, uh, 2019 is you know that there was just friction between both companies and that it wasn't going to happen anytime soon and then you see something like this and you go well this really makes a whole lot of sense but what, what are we supposed oh, to Well, that's think? the thing because i know you know listening to the the observer shows with you and dave the dave's entire mantra has always been you know it could all change with a phone call and i think the the big thing here is you know i don't do a lot of business with japan uh, so this is a lot of you know secondary third-hand information but you know, uh, it's the Japanese are, are, you know, culturally are a lot about, you know, optics and doing things the right way. And, you know, I think even if they wanted to work with AEW right away, the, the optics of the of the the Madison Square Garden show meant that they needed to have the partnership with Ring of Honor persist. And even even if even if they were saying, OK, yeah, you know, we'll work with you in 2019, 2020, whenever. It's not like they would do a show with Ring of Honor in you know, 
April and then go, okay, go away. We're going with the AEW now. The, you know, they sort of, they value that partnership. And I think the partnership has been good for both Ring of Honor and New Japan over the years. Uh, you know, it's certainly given, you know, guys like Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole and a lot of those types of guys that otherwise wouldn't have an avenue to get the type of exposure to a, a larger worldwide audience, a lot of experience and a lot of reps in those situations. But at the same time, you know, it seems like Ring of Honor is sort of fall. I don't want to say falling off a cliff because that's that's probably an unfair statement. But they're definitely mm-hmm. you know domestically and worldwide tremendously de-emphasized. Uh, you know they're they're sort of falling back into the pack with sort of the likes of MLW and Impact Wrestling and to a certain extent the National Wrestling Alliance in terms of their prominence in North America and worldwide. Whereas AEW New Japan seems like a hand in glove stylistic fit, a hand in glove business fit, especially with New Japan losing uh, their their access television slot. So if you're New Japan and you want to you know gain a foothold, you know AEW doesn't run house shows. New Japan's running a bunch of shows that are ostensibly house shows. So having a bit of exposure in North America for some of their guys makes a lot of sense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think it was brought up a few times. You know, I was watching, rewatching the videos last year because about a year ago on a New Japan tour, you know, been paid, you know, the the, the Bucks and uh, Kenny Omega and Adam Page and all those, all the, uh, the, the, the elite guys got paid by New Japan to come to Japan for a show. And while they were there on New Japan's dime, they did a video saying they were starting their own promotion and leaving New Japan. So <laughs> you can understand why they feel a little bit pissed off about it. It's, you know, it's, it seems like a weird way to do business on both sides. So I can understand why there'd be sort of that hesitation to dive into bed with each other right away. And now they sort of, you know, had a bit of a cooling off period. You know, maybe, you know, this is the, the involvement of Moxley and the involvement of Jericho gives them a chance to sort of dip their toe in the water and sort of see if they want to be involved. Maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't think, you know, I don't think Hiroshi Tanahashi is going to be in a hugely prominent position in New Japan in the next year or so because they have so many other guys they're building around both, you know, North America and otherwise. So, you know, Tanahashi is also a pro's pro, so it kind of makes sense to maybe if you want to maybe dip your toe in the water a bit further, maybe you give Tanahashi a win here and then figure out if you can work something out for a show later on in the year to sort of give a bit of a, a shine to New Japan to the AEW audience. So I'm, I'm fascinated it's going to go. I, I, I'm thinking Tanahashi wins because it makes the most sense. But Jericho is also no, it could make a lot of sense if Jericho wins too. They could do anything they want with this match. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and what you said about you know Tanahashi who may not be in the main event scene in in New Japan, uh, and, and so maybe he's, you know, maybe he's not in, in these big matches, but he could be a, a focal point with AEW uh, in some of their stuff. I, I think that, that a lot of that makes sense. And you know, the other thing that you said, which is how AEW was sort of created, I think I think a lot of the frustration with both parties is just based on. Maybe the timing of the communication, maybe a little bit of feelings hurt here and there. Um, the way that those guys were taken off the New Japan, uh, the Dash shows in in, in, a, in a way that probably wasn't communicated as well to them. Um, and, you know, they got frustrated with that. And New Japan is frustrated just because, you know, that Kenny Omega didn't sign, right? He's, he's, he's a guy that they built their entire... their entire company around for for the year and then 
it's not good enough and then he goes and and, and signs with those guys so i could see the frustration the miscommunication the hurt feelings on both sides but it goes back to okay now what what do we do to put our best foot forward for the future and i think that is working together whether or not they do it now or down the line but it does look like if anything these could be some small steps forward for uh, for a relationship which is probably for for the best of everyone like if, if you are a wrestling fan who is either into AEW or maybe it doesn't even like AEW but enjoys uh, New Japan like just the fact that the possibilities of these companies working together uh, would you know it's just it, it's it's great it, it creates so many opportunities for some for some yeah. really good stuff for the fans and and I think that's that's and how on, sort of let's be honest like if I was if I was AEW and I was New Japan and I was trying to figure out okay maybe there's a bridge to be built here you know I would kind of think that Jericho and Moxley and Tanahashi are the types of guys you know they all they're you know they're veterans especially jericho and tanahashi like they've been everywhere they've done everything they sort of are you know renowned as sort of being mature composed you know level-headed people so having that you know the relationship navigated by these types of guys rather than sort of people you might not trust i think gives them a little bit of a uh, a head start on potentially mending that fence all right so now who do you see Holding the championship, the double championship at the end of the night. I would say Ibushi. I think you're right. I, th- I think that's what I would do too. Uh, you know, Okada doing it would just show that, you know, he's the best, but you have an opportunity to uh, to really really make Ibushi as, uh, as a, a tippy tippy top guy. And, you know, he finally signed with them, right? Like that was a big deal before where he was kind of just this free agent and he wasn't going to sign a contract and he did. And this is, you know, the whole year seems to be uh, the building of him as as the uh, the champion. So I would be surprised if it wasn't him. But hey, you know, uh, if, if it was not him, I'm sure there's good reason and it'll be fully explained and it'll be laid out and maybe he then wins it. Uh, you know, down the line. Uh, but it does seem like he is definitely being set up for something really special. Yeah. And, and Ibushi winning, you know, winning two titles in two days is kind of a cool story because it goes from being someone that at the beginning of the year, like at New Year's at New Year's Dash last year, you know, he had no belts. And then over the course of the year, he wins the G1 and then he wins two belts in two days. Like you can do some I can see some cool visuals with like fireworks and stuff going off with him holding awkwardly a briefcase and two belts. So I think that's sort of one of the things that is sort of built for this kind of show. And then it allows them to sort of have a clean slate uh, for the next year because, you know, there's all kinds of different dynamics and different things you can do like do they do is he defending one belt both belts are they unified are they is he going to have multiple matches to defend you know i think it's the dynamics of this thing is going to be fascinating because there's so many different ways they can go with it especially for a guy that you know everyone else has sort of a stable and sort of a group of guys they go with whereas ibushi sort of you know the x factor the the you know the 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 wild card in the new japan group he's sort of someone who does things a little bit differently than everybody else so they could go in any kind of direction with him all right. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining here. This was a lot of fun. I'm super hyped up for this show as if I wasn't before, but now I am even more. Um, and yeah, so we will take a break here. But thanks to Ryan again. Follow him on Twitter <clears throat> at Ryan and Pike. And uh, we'll take a break and then we will bring on Will Cooling. 
time to talk about Untuck It. Have you ever seen an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Super long, not fit. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUE, B-L-U-E, for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, now bringing on Will the Thrill Cooling. I think I called you that on uh, Wrestling Observer Radio one time. Um, So you and I haven't talked on this podcast before, but we have talked a couple times on Wrestling Observer Radio. So very happy to have you on the Fight Game podcast. And I think it's actually a pretty interesting, um, you know, obviously we're in the new year and all that stuff. So it's actually really cool to, uh, to talk about a little bit about sort of some of the stuff that happened in in wrestling uh, in in the UK in 2019, but also sort of look forward because there's a specific quote that I will I will uh, read to you that I know that you know of uh, as we get into uh, down the line in this in this interview uh, about 2020, and so I think it's kind of, we're at a really cool little. Um, you know, before and after uh, of where we are. So firstly, welcome and thanks for uh, thanks for joining. I know that you've been doing a podcast on, on the torch um, and you've you know, you've been writing previously everywhere about wrestling. So you're the perfect person to, to talk about this scene. But how, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. So I've um, used to work for Fighting Spin magazine and uh, that's gone to the magazine shop in the sky, sadly. Brian, <laughs> um, Brian's going to got a real job. <laughs> um, but so I've been doing podcasts about British wrestling for Pro Wrestling Torch, um, and actually for the fight, really for the first real article I've done since FSM went was um, I've I've got an article in the forthcoming Voices of Wrestling New Japan book on New Japan, and my article all about Revolution Pro Wrestling and Revolution Pro Wrestling's relationship with New Japan, which so one of these ones where I started it and I kept going, I kept going, and I finally finished it. At five thousand words, and I wow. could easily have another thousand. Yeah, it's just like, why is this so long? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we are actually talking. I hope I'm not breaking kayfabe to say that we are recording this in advance, but we are actually talking quite a, a historic day because, as we speak, literally, uh, Jim Smallman's last progress show is happening in the Electric Ballroom in Camden, and in a few hours' time. We will have the final ever live WWE programming on Sky because the roar that goes out Monday night, that'll be the last show of Sky's contract with WWE. So that's kind of a watershed to end uh, 2019 on for wrestling in Britain. Yeah, how many years were they on Sky? Um, in one form or another, 
before the channel existed in its current form. So basically uh, what we now think of as Sky is a merger from uh, Sky and British Satellite uh, Broadcasting. So so literally before that merger that created like the, the Sky is a big beast of British uh, cable broadcasting. No, WWE's been on Sky. John Lister is probably the foremost historian of uh, British wrestling. No, not probably. John Lister, who is the foremost historian of uh, British wrestling, found listings for WWE on Sky back in the early in the early eighties when they were basically like a pan-European uh, satellite channel uh, based out of Luxembourg. So yeah, it's a, it's a thirty-year relationship, and that has ended. And just give just give remind people. I know so, some people are, will clearly know what the uh, machinations are behind this, but uh, what caused the uh, the relationship to dissolve? Because I know WWE is now moving to BTE, right? Yeah, so it's moving to BT Sports. Um, so basically, there are three reasons. Uh, two of which are, are WWE's fault and the third isn't. Firstly, the viewing figures have imploded. Um, I was the first journalist to really notice this because basically for, for various reasons, nobody really nobody pays attention week to week about uh, WWE's ratings um, in the UK. So I trawled through them back in, I think, I want to say 2015, and did an article basically saying that actually there have been quite dramatic falls in their ratings Picked it up again, I think, in 2016-17. They had fallen further. Has to be said, actually stabilised, if not gone slight back up since then. Um, but no, the, the dive in cash, you know, you, you've gone from where, like, War 1000, got over 300,000 people watching the Premier broadcast within a week. I think it was 353,000. Now even the, the war the after WrestleMania is, cannot break 100,000. So wow. they've been a really... Wow really start to climb in how many people are watching on Sky. Secondly, uh, Sky isn't just a TV channel, it's a cable platform. So you buy Sky and you know, not only do you get the channels, you get your satellite dish. Um, uh, it's also the leading provider of sports pay-per-view in the UK. Sky, when they signed with uh, WWE, they had made provision to, have to show all the pay-per-views Somehow, Sky did not know about the WWE Network, which WWE tried to launch almost immediately after this deal started. The launch of the network in the UK was delayed for a year, while WWE and Sky tried to you know, fight it out and work out what the best way forward. Eventually, WWE went by themselves, but it's meant that that income Sky used to make off the pay-per-views has massively declined. Um, and obviously, no, Sky's not going to be happy about that. But the third and final one is they got a brilliant deal last time. They got a brilliant deal last time because Sky wanted to lock them down because this was when BT Sports was being really aggressive in terms of signing up sports properties. What has since happened, and we're going too much into the weeds of it, is Sky, BT, BT and Sky have basically made friends. There had been a long court case that had been rumbling through about BT wanting to be able to wholesale Sky's channel so its uh, phone and TV uh, customers could get access to Sky channels. Eventually, there is now an agreement where Sky, BT customers can get Sky channels. 
as a result of that, they're no longer fighting uh, like cats and dogs over every sports property. But the legacy of having this big battle is that they are all paying so much for things like uh, English Premier League, like the Champions League, like English cricket, that they don't have the money for secondary sports. Both of them said that they are trying to squeeze, they're trying to reduce how much they pay on secondary sports. You've had things like BT actually give up, uh, give back the rights to the FA Cup because they didn't think it was worth the money they were paying. And so there just wasn't as much demand for WWE. And that would have been true, even if the first two things as hell weren't, even if WWE had ratings hadn't imploded, even if there hadn't been an issue with the network, WWE still wasn't going to be as valuable as it was in 2014. And so, for, as far as we can tell, Sky didn't bid this time around. Um, they basically walked away, and WWE took what we what we all believe is a much lower offer to go to BT, um, which is a much smaller channel, has has a has a lower reach, and should mean that far fewer people watch WWE than have done in the past. Wow, that's a, that that's yeah. I mean that that that's a you know three major things because i you know i I was uh, i saw the the information today on twitter and people were trying to say well what's the main reason and there there looked to be you know i knew that there were more than one reason but equal you know that they're all three are sort of equally to blame now now as far as aew fits into this whole thing there was some you know there was a little bit of of um controversy i would say when uh they came out with dynamite uh in uh september and then you know there was itv versus itv4 and then they put the uh the U- the the shows on fight tv in the uk how has that whole thing broken down for aew and its partners yeah so um yes yeah, so I, I think i was at the heart of that controversy back, <laughs> back in september and october um yeah like so basically it's weird. I always say the thing with TV, with, with to a certain extent, obviously there are exceptions, but the key thing about your TV deal is what priority you are for your station. And the best way to tell that is how much advertising, how much money is thrown in. So you look at WWE going on to BT. They have been doing loads of things with WWE superstars, get to, no, them doing like promos about coming to BT. Like you've had Sasha Banks, A New Day, various other WWE guys making fun of their new BT colleagues. You never had that with ITV, which suggests that ITV isn't putting much money in and it isn't much of a priority for ITV, which would be very much in line with their attitude to combat sports. What ITV have done is today, they have been showing the pay-per-views. They, they re- around about the time of Mayweather McGregor, they launched their own uh, sports uh, box office channel, their sports pay per view channel. Been shown some boxing, um, most notably Chris Eubank Jr. fights. So they showed um, Double or Nothing. They showed All Out on pay per view. The deal they've got for Dynamite was initially announced as a airing of the full show, inverted commas, and I'll tell you why in a second, on Sunday mornings. The reason why that's an in full commas is there is no way you can show the full Dynamite show at 8 in the morning on a Sunday because because of our broadcasting regulations. At that time, it's before it's called a watershed. 
So anything that's not appropriate for children has to be edited off. So to give you an example, when you had World of Sport uh, last year, well, 2018 now, by the time you guys listen to it, in 2018 when you had World of Sport, World of Sport tried to put on a ladder match. They could not show the ladder being used as a weapon because it was before uh, 10 p.m., which is when the watershed uh, begin, uh, ends properly. Uh, Bellator, earlier this year, they went beyond uh, 5.30, 6 o'clock, which is when the water, when watershed begins, and they had to stop cease transmission because you can't show uh, cage fighting uh, be- uh, before the watershed has ended. Then you're going to do an hour highlight show on ITV um, late night on a Monday. And the problem with that was, is whilst that sounded really impressive to an American, because I was talking about like 11.30, quarter to 12, and obviously, you know, that's, you know, that's still big TV times in America, because you have all the late night uh, chat shows. There's no tradition of that in the UK. You know, that is graveyard shift time. Um, no first run programming is all repeats. It's all highlights of sports and events have gone on during the day. It's just stuff that's chucked on to kill time. So it was a bad, that was a, they were bad time slots. It was going to mean that nobody in the UK would get to see the full unedited version of Dynamite or through TV. They would have to subscribe to the fight uh, internet service for, for AEW+. Now that did eventually change in the sense that we got the Friday night uh, airings, which are full, bounce around sometimes as early as nine, nine o'clock, sometimes as late as about quarter to 12, but it's a Friday night, you know, it's a much better slot um, than uh, a Monday. In terms of the viewing figures for them, like there's, there's, there's been nothing to, sh- to write home about. They have been in the region of about 60,000 to 100,000, which has to be said is broadly comparable to what uh, WWE's been getting, um, or and it's still a lot less than what WWE was getting at its peak. And a lot of that is because it's ITV don't push the program. Um, they push the pay-per-views, but they don't push Dynamite as a program. And even though it's only a two-day delay, you know, a lot of your hardcores, you know, they're going on sites like Watch Wrestling. They're downloading it off torrents. They're, you know, they're maybe watching watching an AEW+. You are missing a lot of the hardcore fans by the delay. So I would say it's not been quite what Cody excitedly promised in May. <laughs> I don't believe... And this is the thing, like, I, I was saying in May, guys... Everybody needs to chill out. I've been here with watching boxing time after time after time where ITV do the full courtside welcome when they've got somebody to sell a pay-per-view for. People get really excited and then it doesn't quite fulfill what people thought. The fact that they're still showing the pay-per-views, the fact that Dynamite actually went on to ITV, this is kind of better than what I thought they would, that AW would be able to get. But I don't think it's what Cody Force he was signing up to back in May. Yeah, I know. I know people were using that uh, that quote against him. Um, so quickly to to kind of change, we are going to talk about. I, I want to talk a little bit about the the UK wrestling scene. So we'll talk about that in a second. But there the um, the Anthony Joshua number, the pay per view number for the fight with Andy Ruiz, did uh, what looks to be a gigantic number in the UK. Um, 
I was trying to figure out from an sort of an apples to apples comparison about other other um, combat sport events that were sort of that big. But I mean, is this the the, the biggest paper? This is the biggest pay per view fight uh, that that has happened in in the UK like, as far as the number is concerned. Yeah, it, one of the issues you have with the UK is we don't really have a Dave a Dave Meltzer giving us a consistent source of estimates. And the reason why that is, is because it's a unitary system. Like Sky own everything. They own a, they own a channel that is uh, broadcasting the pay-per-view. They are the people producing the pay-per-view. They own the infrastructure that the pay-per-view is being broadcast on. So you don't have all the different cable companies to go and ring up and ask for figures. You are kind of at the mercy of Sky and the boxing promotion they're working with. And I have to be honest, pretty much after every major boxing show, you're told it was the biggest pay-per-view of all time <laughs> in Britain. And it's always like it did around a million. And then a year later, you find out that that one actually didn't do around a million, but mm. this one now done around a million. Um, so I would take figures that are being leaked, particularly the, the, the Daily Telegraph, because they tend to get leaks off uh, uh, home promotions and all the other uh, British boxing promotions. Take a slight uh, pinch of salt, but Joshua is very popular. The, the, the Ruiz match was at a good time for the UK. It wasn't it wasn't in a particularly different window to what we're used to for boxing matches in the UK. You know, the, the time difference between us and Saudi Arabia isn't that much. Um, you know, you, you get a lot of media coverage because not only do you get uh, Sky and the newspapers covering it, because the BBC have the radio rights, the BBC tend to really push these big boxing matches as well. Um, in a way, that's not true for WWE or for UFC. And so, yeah, I'm sure he did fantastically well. Um, I think it's interesting that having tried to go to America, having gone to Saudi Arabia, they are making a big play that his next fight will be in the UK. Because the, the, the slightly depressing fact is Joshua did get criticism for going to Saudi Arabia. But I think the primary, the primary source of that criticism wasn't human rights. It was why has Joshua not 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 fought in the UK in 2019? Why has Joshua not fought where his fans could see him live? Um, and so I think that suggests that they know they have to kind of reconnect mm -hmm. with lo local his local peeps. Yeah, because if someone asked me what I thought the the top pay-per-view event ever in the UK would be, I would have immediately said Mayweather-McGregor. Yeah, I think Mayweather-McGregor, Mayweather-McGregor, Mayweather-Hatton. Uh, oh, yeah, that's um, another one. Um, Hay Harrison, um, I think, did well. Um, Hay Klitschko did well, but they had to refund loads of them because there were technical issues. Oh. Um... And then probably Joshua Klitschko. So I think they're the main ones you've seen. Um, one of the issues you had is the likes of Calzaghe and Hatton. They're, like they're peaks for when Sky was trying to get the pay-per-view thing to work. And so Hatton, no, Hatton Mayweather was the first really huge British boxing pay-per-view where like people were like sitting up and paying attention. I mean, that's why Hatton got a great deal to face uh, Pacquiao. Mm -hmm. Because they were expecting 
similar take-up of the pay-per-view, and actually that one didn't do as well in Britain um, as the Mayweather-Hatton one had done. Um, but that's why Pacquiao's team was so keen to face him, and it's why Mayweather always loves coming to the UK and makes a point of it, because he made so much goddamn money off that pay-per-view. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so let, let's... Uh... Let's move on to talk a little bit about wrestling. Uh, and, you know, obviously with the way that uh, streaming works with so many, you know, YouTube and, and all of these companies uh, making their content available, um, we can see, I personally, as someone in the U.S., can watch much more U.K. wrestling than ever before. But still, to that extent, it's, it's not like... It's something that's, you know, really easy for me just to turn on and watch. And I've heard so much this year about the quality of the wrestling. Um, and I think some I think folks know a lot of the really, really, uh, really, really big matches. Um, I know there was the Star and Devlin match that everyone's talking about. There's lots of Walter stuff. But what are some of the matches that happened in uh, 2019 that may have fallen a little bit under the radar that you that you think should have been a little bit bigger of a crossover than than actually were. So yeah, I mean, so the issue you have with a lot of known British promotion uh, streams live, and um, so it's all catching up on VOD after the fact, and turnaround can go from forty eight hours um, after a match all the way to, you know, the five to seven days that progress use to a couple of weeks, sometimes even more than that. So you do sometimes have to be patient. Um, obviously, the star uh, Devlin match that got five stars from uh, Dave Meltzer has uh, been a big deal. That's now actually for, to, available to, for, to watch for free on YouTube. So the all 50 minutes, including like the pre-match stuff, that's available. That, I mean, and uh, that's something that I really need to to just sit down and watch. I've heard so many great things and not even just when it became free, but even before that, cause I have a, I have a buddy who subscribes to one of the services and he was like, here's the hype thing that is out there, but you need to watch all of this plus the match. And it's like the best thing that he saw in the, you know, in the last six months of 2019. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole storyline. Cause you have, from the start of the year, February, you have the first Star uh, Devlin match. You then have uh, Devlin, uh, yeah, Star Devlin match. You then have the following month in March. You have Devlin Walter when he gets the title back. You then have Walter Star OTT in June. You then and then you get this Star Devlin match. And so, at the very least, to get the storyline, you kind of need to watch all of these matches, all of which are kind of. Uh, uh, heralded by really good video packages. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, there's a lot of... It's weird because you have all of that stuff, but actually, I would say my favourite match between Star and Devlin was the match they had in progress back in May, mm -hmm. which um, was the final Super Strong Style, which is the biggest tournament in British and European wrestling. You know, 1,500 people in Alexander Palace for three days in a row. Star had not been meant to win it. Um, it was obvious if you're watching it. I covered that show for press, and he kind of hinted at it afterwards. I've had other people have spoken to Star since, and he said it more explicitly. Basically, that's when he announced the weedy indie stuff. They kind of trying to unionize pro wrestlers. 
He got a huge reaction on night one, and they changed their plans. And so there was a big reaction on night two, and eventually they made the decision to pivot from what they had planned, which I think was Jordan Devlin winning the tournament, to having Star win a tournament instead. And that Devlin-Star match is excellent. It might be the light bias over the two ones he's done in OTT, because the, the one they did in October really is exceptional. But like, there's some really cool stuff, and it felt genuinely important when he won. Now, sadly, progress kind of screwed up the storyline after that moment. But that, that Star-Devlin match in progress shouldn't be overlooked. Likewise, Star, well, I was at 16 Carat, which is probably the second biggest tournament um, in European wrestling. And the star, Walter, like Walter had an amazing weekend. Like Walter has not been as active as he has been in previous years. But when he goes, he goes. Because he had a fantastic match against Star on night one, which is one of the most... Like, there was nothing crazy in it in terms of deathmatch spots or anything like that. It was just a strong physical match. But it felt violent and it felt important because those guys just have this incredible chemistry and you have the whole storyline of Star not being able to beat Walter. Walter then had an amazing match against Ray Phoenix. And you would think, just size different in that match. <laughs> But it absolutely worked. There's at one point, like, Walter is tearing at Phoenix's uh, mask. And at one point, Walter powerbombs Phoenix. The mask explodes off Phoenix's face. And a fan throws their own replica into Phoenix. So Phoenix had a, a mask to wear for the rest of the match. Uh, Walter had a great match against Lucky Kid in the final. So, like, wait, wait, wait. Was that a plant? That had to be a no. plant. No, well, not a plant. Apparently it wasn't. I mean, I don't know that for certain, but wow. apparently it was a fan taking the initiative. The, the mask was not meant to uh, explode off. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so Walter's um, great when he uh, he can go. You, um, oh, what else would I say? It's, it's, that, that, it has not been at the quality of previous years, but there's still been good stuff. Like Timothy Thatcher, mm-hmm. uh, a guy a bit like Star, who was a bit unheralded in uh, America. He really has connected to that German fan uh, fan base. Back in October at WXW, he had a title match against Bobby Guns, won the title, and I've never seen a crowd that happy when Thatcher managed to win. I think it's a really interesting insight into the difference between European and American fan cultures, because I know Americans get annoyed when British and European fans sing through matches <laughs> and, and and like sometimes I share that noise because I think sometimes it is the crowd look I, I'll, of- I'll take that over fight forever any day of the week <laughs> no I, I, and sometimes I, sometimes I agree because it is fans trying to get themselves over but you also do have the reality that in what you, know, you guys would call soccer fans do chant to show allegiance to show partisanship and that that Thatcher Bobby Guns match, the fans are singing all the way through with a one small sec- section. It is all about them singing to support Timothy Thatcher. It's all about them showing their investment in the storyline. And it just, it, I was there, it gave me chills, fantastic atmosphere. Um, Pac, you know, Pac's been back on the scene all year. Um, politics definitely hurt. Um, you know, his matches with Zack Sabre, Will Ospreay. If you ignore the final five minutes of each match, fantastic action, world-class exchanges uh, between three men who are at the peak of their of their game. 
But because you couldn't do a finish, because, you know, New Japan guys going against the Open, uh, the Dreamgate champion, they, they the matches fall apart a bit at the end. But then he has an amazing match against Michael Oku, um, where they tease a 30-minute time limit. Um, they tease that Oku's not going to be able to hold Pack to a draw before Pack wins. But the action beforehand is absolutely brilliant. Pack plays a heel brilliantly. Oku's a really... Um, engaging, believable babyface. That then kind of launches Oku as a big star. Um, you know, he's he's had probably matches in progress, promising matches in Revolution Pro Wrestling. Won the British J Cup, managed to actually finally beat Pack in not as good, but a pretty good match in December. Uh, and Pack's also, I mean, I'm not as, as highness as some people, but on YouTube there is a Pack, a Cory Nora match, and Cory Nora is a wrestler who is like the black swan of wrestling comes out to the music has swan makeup on his face and they do a similar version of the underdog going up against pack giving pack a good match before eventually being defeated um talking uh, this is what now be really weird for people watching new japan david Starr had been the big heel in Revolution Pro Wrestling, inverted commas, because actually the fans quite liked him, but he's being pushed as a heel. He had his blow-off match with uh, El Fantasmo for the British Cruiserweight Championship in Revolution Pro Wrestling. A ladder match, fought very much like a death match. At one point, stars in like the tree, he's upside down and tree of woe, and like a puddle of blood is forming in the corner of the ring because he's bleeding so badly, but no really good physical, no hardcore match. Fantasmo wins as a big baby face, then goes off to Japan and becomes a big heel, <laughs> completely revamps his presentation and uh, is a completely different character by the time he comes back to the UK. Um, and then there's so, there's so much more as well, because it, what you have in the UK, you have a real patchwork of smaller promotions. So you have your OTT, your WXW, your uh, progress, your Revolution Pro Wrestling, OTT. But you have smaller promotions using uh, younger talent who are also doing good stuff as well. So, you know, it's free on YouTube. You have Testudium, which did a uh, shoot-style show, so Knockout and Submission, the only route to victory. And their first show is all up on YouTube, and it includes some really good stuff, including a very fun Timothy Thatcher, Jordan Devlin match. Wrestling Resurgence, that's based near me. I'm in the East Midlands, in Leicester and Nottingham and Loughborough. They had a really fun uh, Iron Woman match, a 30-minute uh, Iron Woman match between Charlie Evans and Kanji. That was a lot of fun. You know, my local promotion, Fight Club Pro, its most recent show was headlined by Tyler Bate versus Mike Quackenbush, Mike which was an excellent kind of stiff technical match that kind of went about 20 minutes. They also had like an hour-long uh, War Games match that was very much like the old Ring of Honor uh, C, uh, C, uh, CZW uh, blow-off War Games back in the early noughties. We had Team Fight Club Pro versus Schadenfreude. You know, you got places like Attack. Um, no, up north, you got places like uh, Future Shark and Fighting Spirit. So there's lots of different places doing different types of things. And it's just trying to find the ones that kind of appeal to you. One of the best matches, actually, I saw all year was in May, where Jonathan Gresham, I think it was Dow Allen, in the library in Wimbledon. 
and there's a British rounds match in a literal library with books all around the place. Um, and they went, you know, they went, I think, four rounds, and it was brilliant technical wrestling. So, as we look forward to this year, I think <clears throat> there, there's there's a lot of news about a quote Triple H made on a podcast. I did not listen to the podcast. I will not listen to a Corey Graves podcast. But uh, it, it became newsworthy because of a quote that kind of got um, cycled around the uh, blogosphere, the wrestling blogosphere. So I'm just going to read the quote in full, and I want your... Uh, you know, your take, I'm sure you've thought about this already. You've talked about this before, but um, I, th- I think you probably have the you'll, you'll probably have uh, the best and most knowledgeable take of anybody that I could think of asking. So Triple H says people misunderstood what we were trying to accomplish over in the UK because of small thinking or short sightedness. Yes, some of these indies are going to going to go away. The ones that are going to go away are the ones who are paying you $25 when they promised you $75. The ones that have a ring that didn't hold up, the ones that didn't have medical there, the ones that didn't care about you, they were just booking you because they were hoping to sell some tickets and you had a little bit of buzz, so they were hoping to sell some tickets and they could care less what you do when you do it. We wanted to work with the ones who were cultivating talent, the ones that were encouraging them to become better, working with them on promos or giving them guidance right or wrong on their matches that had equipment that was functioning that had medical care if you were injured that at least didn't have you waiting 45 minutes for an ambulance or trying to figure out if they were going to call you an uber what do you think about that that com or those comments by triple h well it's nonsense isn't it i mean (laughs) um first of all you know like I'm not going to get to my high horse about equipment or medical or stuff like that. Promoting wrestling is very difficult. It's very thankless. Uh, I do think people have to realize that at certain levels of wrestling, it is such a small level of, of operation that it would be like saying all amateur sports or all recreational sports have to have a medic on standby. That's just clearly not reasonable or practical. Um, I don't I don't know what the American equivalent would be, but it'd be like saying that every Sunday league football match had to have a medic on standby. It's like, well, no, you're not you're not going to have that. Let's be real. The reality is, look, the main promotion they have moved against most the most harshly is Revolution Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. They have moved. No, we all know why they move harshly against Revolution Pro Wrestling. It's because Revolution Pro Wrestling has a close business relationship with New Japan. There had been some issues with the booking. You know, Pete Dunn got beaten by Yoshihashi, for example, when WWE were trying to build him up. Um, and Revolution Pro Wrestling was refusing to sign the type of contract with WWE that Progress and now WXW and OTT have signed. Well, we don't know about OTT, but definitely Progress, WXW and ICW. Now, it is perfectly reasonable for WWE to say, we have our guys in this market, the Revolution Pro Wrestling is not our guy, and therefore we will not work with Revolution Pro Wrestling. That's perfectly fine. But none of what they said applies to Revolution Pro Wrestling. Right. Because we know that because Triple H used to praise Ref Pro back when they hoped to pry Andy Quilden away from New Japan. Now, Andy Quilden runs a training school, so he is trying to develop guys. He 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 has paramedics at his shows. I know because I've seen them. Like the aforementioned ladder match between David Stone and El Fantasmo. 
I was in the balcony of your call. You could literally see the paramedics um, getting ready to take their position. If you go to their cockpit shows every month, you can see the paramedic, paramedics literally sitting on front row waiting for the match to end um, in case they're needed. I don't know about his payoffs, but, you know, I'm sure the payoffs are, 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 are better than some of the, than other promotions in the UK, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly, by blocking people from RevPro, they are not trying to stop people working for substantive promotions. They're trying to stop people working for promotion that won't get up, won't become part of the team. More broadly, at the end of the day, what WWE has done in the UK is sign a lot of guys, give them contracts, put them, put them on retainers, which is great for the guys. The guys are making, most of them are making more money than they ever could without these WWE UK contracts. But that is not replacing the old system. Like you are not like I thought the most interesting thing in that whole thing, which I, I think comes a bit later, is is Triple H actually talks about how the companies they're working with, their business is better than before. And if you look at it, if you listen to it, he noticeably symbols and he gets to that bit and then says, uh, "I've been told that they are doing better <laughs> than before." Because even he can't bring himself to portray that as his own opinion. Because the reality is, is what's happened is, talent has been pulled. The, ta- the promotions that are working with WWE UK and, and that can use WWE UK talent, because they're never entirely sure which people they can use, because WWE keeps changing their mind, they start their storyline, their storytelling starts to go to hell. So they become less cool. You've had the issue lights of progress in WXW because they are likely to go onto their network at some point or certainly being prepared to go onto their network. Things like using licensed music goes away, which means it robs them of their cool factor because they have to use kind of this lame, generic music. And so, you know, Progress haven't sold more tickets in the UK than in previous years. The buzz around promotion isn't what it, it, it once was. The, ma- the shows and the matches aren't as good as they once were, in part due to the things that we are doing. Likewise, you look at some of the smaller promotions, the smaller promotions are still there and it's still important because they're the ones that give young guys a kind of chance to stretch their legs, become wrestlers, learn who they are. But it's far more difficult for those promotions to run, to make money, because the type of guys that would have been their headliners are deprived of them, but they've not gone away. And if they did go away, WWE's not put anything in place to replace them. It's just made life harder for everybody, um, except the people who are employed by WWE. Yeah, that's uh, that. That is how it seems on this end, and we know what the WWE playbook is. So even if, even if you were not, uh, even if you didn't know what was going on in the UK, just knowing historically what WWE has done before uh, and their dishonesty about about it all, like it, it just it just is. It's it's the old you know the thirty year old forty year old playbook that that they used before and. Um, very interesting. And, you know, just one last thing. Uh, they've kind of uh, gone away from um, a lot of this, but it does seem like the UK uh, is sort of the blueprint, which is this regionalizing independent wrestling again, but doing it uh, country by country, um, nationalizing or whatever, however you want to call it. But just, you, you know, UK is kind of their first go round of doing this. 
Um, can you see them doing this in other places where wrestling is popular? Well, in theory, at any moment, they could create NXT Germany. Um, because they have Walter under contract. They have a, a few other guys from WXW. Um, we know that they've been sniffing around Japan to try and set up NXT Japan. But the reality is, right, they lose money in NXT UK. NXT UK, you know, the, the, the warehouse of Lost in Enfield, the TV tapings that they do in front of venues that are like two-thirds two empty and there's no atmosphere. These things lose money. Um, so what's the benefit for WWE? And this is the thing I always go back to. It's like, I can see the argument that you put a bunch of UK guys on retainer so they can't go to New Japan, so they can't go to Ring of Honor, and now you'd say so they can't go to uh, All Elite Wrestling. That, to me, makes perfect sense. But why can't you just put them on retainer? Just put them on retainer, maybe do the old Network Live special, and anyone who's good, you ship over to Florida for the proper NXT. Why do we need NXT UK? Mm-hmm. What is NXT UK adding that you don't get by just having the guys on retainer? Because at the end of the day, look, you look at Pete Dunne. So Pete Dunne is now in America. Pete Dunne should have been in America um, last summer. You think about how hot Pete Dunne and Mustache Mountain were coming off that feud with uh, Undisputed Era. But instead, they had to ship them back to the UK because they needed them to launch NXT UK. Yeah. Likewise, Tony Storm. How hot was Tony Storm after winning the May Young Classic? She's nowhere near that hot now. Why? Because she had to be shipped off back to the UK because they needed her to launch this brand, which, let's, let's be frank, nobody watches. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody who watches NXT UK? I actually know my my podcast partner, John LaRocca. He watches it because... Uh, you know, one, he's a he's a gigantic wrestling fan, and but it's just quick and easy for him to put it on on uh, NXT, uh, put it on the WWE ne- network. But he really does enjoy the work of uh, of the brand, and you know, I don't I don't know how much other UK wrestling that he watches, but because of the simplicity, he he will try and watch that show week to week. It is amazing. Like I think you would, you would struggle to find somebody who doesn't have a wrestling podcast who watches it. It is amazing how little buzz that that programming gets. The takeovers do well, and the takeovers, although there are a few issues with some of the booking in them, the takeovers are enjoyable to watch. The, the, the actual TV shows are really I find them really soulless because there's no atmosphere. The work can be a bit basic because there are good guys on the roster, but there are bad guys on that roster too. So, again, it goes back to that thing of, yeah, sure, they can create NXT Mexico. They can create NXT Germany. At the end, they, they can do what they want. They have enough money to go around. But what's the benefits? Like, what do they gain from doing this? Because you talk about the network. To me, like, if I'm WWE, the benefit, no, the, the extra content for the network is not do is not putting on more hours of WWE-style content which is what they're doing with NXT UK, which is what they'll be doing if they put on Progress or WXW onto their network. It is doing things that create buzz that are different to what WWE is putting on. And they should be looking at GCW more than other indies. They should be looking at, you know, you've got a, a, a two, three hour block on the network. Let's go to an Xavier Woods. Let's go to an Orny Lorcan. Let's go to, you know, whoever you want to pick from the roster and say, what would you want to do with these three hours? 
you know, you go nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to do a comedy, you want to do a comedy wrestling show, you want to do a shoot style show. If you want to do a high flying show, go nuts. Let's let's have these really weird, wacky shows that we we can never do in continuity, but actually as a gimmick to get people to watch the network would make a really cool change of pace. You know, if they put on Progress WXW Evolve, it's going to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, absolutely. It really is, because it's just more content that's the same of the same of the same, even when it's good. Whereas, actually, you get someone like Ornie Lorcan or Cesaro to do a three-hour Bloodsport-style show, that would be appointment viewing because it'd be different. No, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, so before we get out of here, talk a little bit more about your podcast, where people can find it, uh, and do you do you do it by yourself or do you have a partner? I do it by myself. Uh, so yeah, British Wrestling Report. Um, actually, I say we do it by myself. The last one we did at the beginning of the month, actually, Lewis James Brown, who is on your excellent Facebook group, uh, the Fightful Facebook group, he actually did it with me because he just came back from uh, watching uh, Fight Club Pro. But yeah, so British Wrestling Report. A regular podcast, I've been busy with the British general election and, and kind of gorging on politics and then with Christmas, but should be back on a more regular schedule soon. Me, I talk the news of British wrestling, I talk the shows I've been to, I've watched on VOD. Um, earlier in the year, um, I did like a big two-hour um, history of WWE UK that you can find there where I talk about all the history of how it came to be formed and kind of how it's developed since its initial forming back in 2017. Uh, so yeah, you can find that on Pro Wrestling Torch. Um, I also have just completed an article for the Voices of Wrestling New Japan book, all about Revolution Pro Wrestling. I should say, I noticed we didn't talk about it, we forgot to talk about it. Probably the big highlight of the year for British Wrestling was that Royal Quest show. Um, Incredible day for wrestling because you had that and you had the NXT UK takeover in Cardiff. So you you had you must have had ten thousand people watching wrestling live on the same day, not counting smaller shows that are going on around the country. And we did get to see Suzuki Okada in a British ring in a venue, which is one of the best venues I've ever been to. Like I was all the way back up in the cheap seats. And my vantage point couldn't have been more perfect because I could see everything, I could hear everything. So, yes, yeah, so Royal Quest, Copper Box, that was a highlight too. I really hope we get another New Japan show next year. And you can follow me on Twitter at Will Calling. And if you're really interested, I also have a politics podcast called It Could Be Said, where we talk about the wacky world of British politics. When, when does that ebook come out? Uh, I think it comes out on the 2nd. I think Thursday. Got it. So, pe- so, so people can go to just just Amazon and uh, and and get it, right? I believe. Yeah, I think that's the case. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I just I want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for jumping on. I know we've been wanting to do this for a little a little while, but this was the perfect time. Thanks again, Garrett, and uh, um, hope to hear hear you hear from you again soon. All right. Want to say thanks to Ryan Pike. Thanks to Will Cooling. John and I will be back Friday morning. So for Ryan and Will, I am Double G. See you when we see you. Peace out.